When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Rise and shine, fever dreamers. It's time to look alive. I'm V Spear. And I'm Amanda Duberman. And this is American Fever Dream, a new podcast presented by Betches News. Where we keep you responsibly informed without depleting your faith in humanity. Episode two, V. I mean, first of all, thank you so much to the listeners. We got so much really sweet and heartening and generous feedback last week, and it just means the world. And we did chart. So you guys got us there. We got into yeah. the podcast charts, which you know is so incredibly important for a new podcast to get recognition and be able to continue to bring you this incredible content. So continuing liking, subscribing. If you liked the podcast, leave a review. That's the stuff that keeps it up in the charts. And when people are like, hmm, something's going on in politics, I'd like to listen to a podcast about us. And they can find our gorgeous little faces and give us a listen. <laughs> Yes. Um, and we do have a promise to fulfill to you guys from last week, which before we get into the main news, I promised you I would tell you why me and Nancy Pelosi are not pals. This is the payoff right up front. We're not going to make you wait. I was a cater waiter for years in Washington, D.C., and uh, cater waiters are treated all different kinds of ways. I've been to Nancy Pelosi's house many times to cater, and she was about to give a speech, and I happened to be standing there, and she put a raw lamb lollipop into my hand. And I will literally never get over it. I mean, I was standing there. She had garbage to get rid of. Yes, it was a half-bitten lamb lollipop, but uh, I just never got over it. And so that's why I hold my grudge against Nancy Pelosi. Rude to the waiter, never flies. So you and Nancy Pelosi, you don't you don't have beef, but you do we have, have lamb. slightly masticated lamb. <laughs> we have slightly masticated lamb. I know it's a personal thing. I, I accept that she's done a ton of great work, but for me... By the spear of the person, I can never get over the feeling of uh, salivated on lamb in my hand. And listen, you know what? When you felt a woman spit in your hand, you'll call her a federal <laughs> empress. I will. <laughs> I will. She also yelled at me one time because I brought the wrong ice cream, just in case you were wondering. <gasps> uh, she, I thought that because I work for this very fancy caterer that we would bring our own ice cream. But no, do not serve Nancy Pelosi anything other than Jenny's darkest chocolate ice cream. She has one scoop every morning for breakfast, and that's what she has. Not homemade ice cream from the caterer, not anybody else. Jenny's darkest chocolate, which I admit is the best chocolate ice cream. Woman-owned. Jenny's, if you're listening. <laughs> Sponsor the show. <laughs> wow. Every politician that makes it that far, and just the lamb industry in general, we're really casting a wide net. Yeah, it was great. Nyman Ranch, get at me. <laughs> All right. Should we get right into our temp check today? Let's jump in. Let's jump in. All right. We will begin our show with a temperature check. And you know, 
We're doing it with a topic that I would say is a little literal for what we intended for this segment. I think we just thought it was a fun 8 a.m. to catch the vibes. But no, today we're we're frozen. We're talking about frozen embryos. Why? Because they're people. Mm-hmm. They're children. <laughs> they are people. Why, Amanda, are you talking about frozen embryos on a news podcast when the details surrounding reproductive assisted technology should be between aspiring parents and their doctors? Because if you have not heard by now, the Alabama Supreme Court went ahead and ruled that frozen embryos are legally Children. This is a sentence I knew one day we would say on this podcast, but it's like, it's wild to say it. My mom was like, honestly, if embryos are children, then I shouldn't have been able to put you guys on ice when you were bad when you were kids, because this <laughs> this would have really saved me a lot in child care if we could just put all children on ice from time to time. I mean, the way we'll get into it, but the way they wrote this decision had me thinking like, well, I'm on my period. Am I a mother? Like wild. Yes. Completely wild. I want cards and chocolates. I want flowers and brunch. Okay. I've I've had my period since I was 17 years old. I'm 41 now. That is, I have a, a multitude of children. So many children. All right. How did we even get here? This case originated when an Alabama couple sued their fertility clinic for wrongful death because their frozen embryos were accidentally destroyed. Before we continue, by all accounts, a tragedy. Uh, devastating. Yeah. And these couples deserve money. They deserve apologies. They deserve um, some. They deserve something in damages for what happened to them and their dreams for their future. Absolutely. But basically, in their attempts to get justice for what happened, they tried to sue for wrongful death. The justification being that these embryos, these frozen embryos, were people. And this establishment that accidentally destroyed them was responsible for, for the death of a human. A circuit court dismissed part of their case, saying the couple could not sue for wrongful death. The Alabama Supreme Court said, oh, yes, you can. And they ruled that the state's wrongful death of a minor act applied here because Alabama's constitution contains a section that empowers the state to protect, quote, unborn life. So the Alabama Supreme Court gave a fun little little theocratic spin, a major theocratic spin on that section in their ruling. I'm going to read. I really try not to read too much from legislation or decisions, but sometimes like they just, you just have to. They wrote that even before birth, all human beings bear the image of God and their lives cannot be destroyed without effacing his glory. This is in the decision. That court basically decided that the state law applies even to embryos outside of the womb, or as they put it, quote, unborn children who are located outside of a biological uterus at the time they are killed. I just got chills. (laughs) I just got chills. Because what what does this mean, right? Like I, I was talking to a bunch of my guy friends and they were like, I am a mass murderer. If if all our <laughs> biologics that can cause life are are to be it's like legally blonde, right? Wasn't that the argument she had legally mm-hmm. blonde? It couldn't every uh, you know, sperm not seeking an egg egg be considered like murder yes. or whatever. Or reckless abandonment. Yes. Reckless abandonment. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't believe this is stranger than fiction. But it's causing a ton of issues in the state. Like, this is what happens when millennials it. become Supreme Court justices. <laughs> God, as if, as if they yeah. even let us be. If they did, we would know that legally blonde reference and we would be like, oh, so everyone not seeking an egg would be reckless abandonment. No, I, this is causing a ton of issues. One, I do want to really lean into the fact that for folks who are going through IVF, which is one in six couples experience infertility. So that's that's quite a few people. Not everybody seeks IVF, but one in six experience infertility. I believe you. I believe in my heart of hearts that those those embryos are yeah. future children. They are they're something that you've put a lot of emotional feelings into. And to you, that's what that means. But what it's what it's doing to the IVF industry in Alabama in particular is they're saying they're gonna have to shut down because they couldn't possibly promise that every single embryo would come 
into being, you know, an implanted mm-hmm. then born child. And no, it's part of the process is that, I mean, in an ideal scenario, you have a lot and it works fairly early and you've built your family and then the rest you either donate but are typically discarded. And by this logic, that would be murder. Right. And how sad for all the parents now who are also kind of faced with, okay, well, I did the embryo thing and then I destroyed the ones that I wasn't going to use. Am I, can I be held liable for murder in the, in the back end here? Like it's, it's, it's incredibly disturbing and it it is just one way that anti-abortion legislation continues to cause major problems for families, family planning, people who want children um, because stuff like this, right? So, so now what are we going to say if, if life starts at an egg, then, you know, you're born with all the eggs you're going to have, then that means you can mm-hmm. never, what, what happens? Is this just another way to punish women? Like, I don't get it. You know, I found that out way too. I found that out like recently that I was born with out. all the eggs I was ever going to have. It's wild. No. And that means that you as an egg inside your mother's egg was inside your grandmother. Isn't that wild? Mind blowing. Men are flops. I mean, I'm sorry. Come on. <laughs> this is so much cooler. Yeah, was your sperm another, ever another? in your grandpa's sack? I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. We're it special over here. This is why we need a maternal maternal leadership. The most unhinged references in this. Another, the court references a specific Bible verse. Before I, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. These are supreme state supreme court justices invoking Christian texts to justify their their decision here. I try not to belabor the Gilead comparisons of it all, but. This is like, I feel like this is the most verbatim we we have ever been. And it's so, I was watching this thinking, you know, all we keep hearing about is that this extreme anti-abortion, the policies and the rhetoric, it's hurting Republicans. It's hurt them in the past uh, few elections. You know, we know Trump is apparently like privately embracing a six-week ban, which he thinks is kind of like a fair middle ground. Like, mm-hmm. why, why is there a part of the party, like you have Nikki Haley who will not answer a question seriously about what she'll do for abortion because she's like, there's not a will, so there's not a way. Like, who are these people? Do you think the relentless pursuit of of anointing eggs as life is going to actually pay off for the Republican Party or have they lost the plot? Like, these are just zealots. Yeah, I think they lost the plot. And, beca- and and you also see a lot of people who are no longer in their childbearing e- years being the ones who are the most emphatic about these policies because they won't affect them. And li- like you guys know, I have, a, I have a solid conservative audience. We have a lot of great conversations, don't always agree, but happy to have that back and forth with them. Um, and my friends who are on the more conservative side or, you know, in military side are saying like – this is robbing them of their power to plan their own families, a power that these older politicians had when they were having their children. Uh, it's making them very nervous for their wives. It's making them very nervous uh, to say that they're conservative if they're trying to date because women won't trust them. Um, and on the other side, you know, Republican women or conservative women are saying the same thing. Like, I am pro-life because when I want to have the child, I want it to be here, you know, but I also don't want to die in the process. And I'm like, right. So you're pro, you are pro-choice. Just let's, I think they're afraid of being bullied or kicked out of their, you know, more conservative parents will or something. So they're just being quiet about it. But this is a fail point uh, across the board for people who are in their childbearing years, not just the fear of not being able to get emergency abortion access if they need it, but not having the power to plan their own families. I can't imagine going through IVF, all of that cost, having 10 embryos, and then being told you are forced to donate five. You know what I mean? There's some child out there that's going to have your DNA that won't go up with their brothers and sisters, but when they turn 21, are going to do a 23 and me for Christmas and be like, holy shit, 
I didn't mm-hmm. know. And there's a there's a creator on TikTok who I watch all the time. I greatly respect her. her name is Laura High. She's a donor conceived person. Strongly advocate for people checking out her content because she is one of these people who has found siblings over the years and the anxiety of finding siblings as a donor conceived person or as an IVF conceived person who maybe your parents had to donate the embryos is astronomical and it's truly unfair. Yeah, it's unthinkable. I can't imagine like truly Mike Pence, one of our most conservative politicians. I believe he and his wife built his family with IVF. That's so interesting that you're hearing from your conservative audience members that like not only is this extreme like anti-abortion legislation and attitudes hurting Republicans nationally at the in an electoral sense, but it is hurting their ability to to get it in. (laughs) These guys can't find a date. They can't. And and like, you know, as a lesbian, I know so much about straight people. Okay. I'm I'm like, (laughs) it's like, uh, it's like they come to me for confession. We do confide in you. Yes. You know, because I'm a safe person to confide in. I truly am. But I feel for them in the idea that like, you know, my guy friends who are married, who have children or are trying to have children are like part of the patriarchy, if you will, was the ability to have control over your family, to not have government involved in your business, to be the head of your household, to be the man of the house. And now we're having some geriatric senator tell you, in fact, that either IVF won't be an option for you and your family, and can you imagine the heartbreak that that will bring, or that you could potentially be forced to have all 10 children? Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just cruelty is the point. When we say cruelty is the point, this is what we mean. The ideas that they have for how to control people and control the population um, are abhorrent and they don't work in practice. And I do think that young conservatives and young Republicans are starting to understand uh, that they've been lied to, that they've been tricked, and that if we really are going for the party of small government, then we need to not have people involved in decisions as intimate as family planning. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we move on, I I have to put an even finer point on Alabama's pro-life aspirations. Last month, the Alabama Supreme Court, this same set of justices allowed the first nitrogen gas execution in the United States. And the people who watched that did not describe it as a very um, humane exercise. And these same justices have decided that frozen embryos uh, should be regarded as children. And again, if you are in the process of building the family, we don't want to be dismissive of that at all. And how you regard those is really personal. Um, I never want to be dismissive to that because I fully I fully get that. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about, like like V just put it, I got chills again when you said you either are going to be charged with murder or you're going to have 10 kids you don't know because you had to donate all of the eggs. That is not a, that is not a tenable solution. And you know, somebody said, well, what would they do with them? I love my comments on TikTok. If you're not in my comments, you're missing half the story. A lot of folks were like, you know, conspiracy theory or not, we're going down the path. It, 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 these They say these things and then they seem possible. Well, what would they do with the embryos? Well, what if nobody wanted to take them? Well, what if they told imprisoned women, hey, if you incubate this embryo, you could mm-hmm. get time off your sentence or this couple will sponsor your books to incubate this embryo for adoption. And I was like, you know what? No, I can absolutely see that. That, that That's that's a feasible next step to me because v, I never would have thought I said the words, the Alabama Supreme Court has considered frozen embryos children. I know. That and is our next step. Alabama, a state with one of the highest infant and mother and maternal mater- mortality rates, um, now saying embryos are children. But my heart is with the people who are doing IVF and especially the people in Alabama who are so confused whether they have uh, you know embryos on ice right now or they were working towards it. Now that might not be an option for you. Like, 
these are the consequences of cruel and unusual legislation. Mm -hmm. And they never come for just one group. They never just come for, uh, you know, the big bad abortionists that they tried to tell you about. They never just come for trans people. They come for all of us. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. All right, now our main news segment. Find out season does continue for Donald Trump. A quick update here. A judge determined last week that the former president and leading candidate for the Republican nomination, he owes the state of New York nearly $400 million as a result of defrauding the state. That adds to the damages he owes Eugene Carroll. So he's looking he's looking down about half a billion dollars in what he owes because he can't stop lying. He doesn't even have that. There's no way. There's no way. The thing about rich people that I learned from Vivian Tu's book, Rich AF, is that rich people don't have cash. They have leveraged assets and access to capital, right? And that's what Donald Trump had with these banks. This is what got him in trouble. He didn't have the money to do a new project. So he went to the bank and he said, hey, all of this stuff is worth $10. And the bank was like, okay. And then he went that same year, which is how we know that this isn't getting overturned in appeals, and filed his taxes and said, all of this stuff is worth $2. 
you can't lie to the bank to get a more favorable loan term or to get the loan at all, right? Because banks are choosing projects that they're going to invest in. They chose Donald Trump's project over others that either could have been more profitable, would have had a higher loan rate, whatever the case may be, based on lies. And then he lied to the government. They always get their ass on the taxes. If there's one way that we get criminals, it's the taxes, always. Yeah. And you know what's so interesting is that like there was a lot of people saying, you know, isn't this kind of a victimless crime? Like it was just the banks that lost money. And it does impact. I mean, these are regulated via laws and the way that the banks work in your state and country. It's going to impact everything. And also, I mean, the judge, the judge said here that the big sums owe largely to the fact that the judge was like, yeah, people can perceive it this way as a victimless crime. But he wrote their complete lack of control and remorse borders on the pathological. He came for their entire necks in this opinion. Letitia James, she sought $370 million, so she got really, really close to what she was asking for. This judge also barred Trump from leading a New York business or asking for loans in the state. And Donald Trump's older sons, Eric and Don Jr., they are barred from directing corporations and entities in the state for two years, and they each owe $4 million. And again, the judge wrote this is largely because they just had absolutely no recognition that what they did was wrong, just a complete refusal. And this is what we see from Trump time after time. You you wonder like where he would be in some of his election interference stuff if even just January 6th he apologized. You know, it would not be this advanced. It would not be this far. But this person is completely unrepentant. He is a psychopath. And I push back on the idea that it's a victimless crime. Banks have a certain amount of money that they can invest into projects. And because they invested in his, based on lies, other people's projects did not get funded. And oftentimes, the ones further down the list are owned by minorities or women or veterans, right? Those are always the ones that kind of get pushed because they're a riskier investment, because they're a less proven uh, entity, right? They're newer businesses. So there's a victim on that side. On the other side, we're looking at, I think it was like $165 million in unpaid taxes, yeah. like un, un uh, acquired taxes. Missing interest. That's music. Yeah, that's music programs for schools in New York. That's development. That's trees. That's all the things that go into this city that he calls himself Mr. Manhattan. Well, there are benefits to being able to do that. And those benefits come back in in taxes to the city. Um, more cops if you want them, right? Like whatever the case may be, better security. Uh, so there are victims to these crimes. And to your point, the lack of remorse just emboldens not just him to do it again, but other people to do it again. Um and that's and I'm just glad that we got these judgments at least on the books to deter future crime, if possible. I, I do think it's interesting that Ivanka was originally included in the suit and quickly shielded. They moved her outside of it uh, at the request of Trump and the sons. So they were like, hmm. no, 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 it was all us. She didn't do it. It was all us. She didn't do it. And I'm assuming that's because they have to have like a, a designated survivor or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, Queen Princess over there. Somebody's got to go hang out with Kim Kardashian. <laughs> yes, you know, and I, I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing from Jared Kushner, even though I don't trust the man, and I think he's uh, disgusting. Elaborate on but that. What are you liking that you see? You got to so elaborate. I, I, I will. So he went on. He was on a. He was being interviewed, um, and they asked him, you know, if your father-in-law were to become the president again, would you yeah. take take back your job? And he was like, no, straight up, no. And he was like, why? And he, he's like, I, I moved on to other things and I don't want to do it. And they were like, what about your wife? She was, you know, really paramount to his success there. And he was like, I think my wife has uh, given enough of herself to the family. She owes them nothing. And I appreciated that. Really? I totally yes. missed that. Interesting. He said, I think my wife has paid her due to the family and 
is similarly enjoying a life of taking our kids to school and working on her own projects. I think our family mm-hmm. will cut out. And I was like, you know what, Jared? Good for you. The, a couple billion yeah. from the Saudis will really give you some muscle. Exactly, you know? exactly. I would have loved that energy in like 2015, but no, 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 <laughs> I guess no. we'll take He's like, he ain't got no money. Get. I got billions from the Saudis. Come and take it from me. And that's why this these sums are relevant to why Trump wants to be president. He keeps trying to get yeah. these trials delayed because people are apparently saying they don't want to vote for a convict. The only way this man, the only path to income this man has seems to be the presidency or promising people now that he can that he can secure them promises when he's president again. That is the yeah. only skill set they have. Imagine you get laid off from every single job and you just have one thing. So it's like I think that's what people fail to see is like a lot of what you're seeing from Trump, it's desperation. It's his only path. It's also a crime. Isn't it called payola? I mean, I don't know the terms for financial crimes, you know, but like when you promise someone a job later, if they help you yeah. like swindle something now, right. right, or money later for like quid pro quo or whatever. I don't know. We're, we're deep into the mob now, but he... Now he's going to go after the RNC's money. He wants to put Lara Trump in charge of the mm-hmm. RNC. They finally got rid of Rona McDaniel. Uh, and, and they're saying like campaign contributions that are supposed to go to winning like congressional races across the nation or Senate races are now going to go to paying Trump's legal fees. And don't forget the GoFundMe, which is the most embarrassing, horrible thing. He's a billionaire. Why are you guys sending him money? And the sneaker drop. All of this oh is going to help pay the legal fees. I'm not going to lie. I would wear the sneakers. If they didn't have a Trump and a 45 on them, I am so tacky patriotic. Like, look at this. I yeah I would wear I would wear gold American flag sneakers, but he not is the pointing Trump ones. to a very patriotic background right now. <laughs> I love propaganda. I think it's got its time. You know what I mean? <laughs> I collect this is, this is nice. it. I this collect is yours it. Yours is like propaganda curious. <laughs> yeah, I, I collect it. I think it's interesting to learn from. It's certainly a cautionary tale. Some propaganda. Not all propaganda is bad, but these sneakers. A lot of people think they'll go down and be in a museum someday. I absolutely do not. It's it's like. It's like, you know, schmatzy stuff. It's not something you display unless you're courting Clarence Thomas in your private right, library. Precisely. You do. It's so interesting that Republicans are doing like absolutely this party is doing everything they can to support this man across the board. And to close our Trump discussion for today, it's just so interesting to me that the Republican Party its apparatus is working so hard to make sure this man is like provided for and has as clear path to the presidency as they can imagine. And then Democrats are just like, shit, do we kick this guy off the ticket? Like, it's just so I mean, the the 2024, this is it's a fever dream. It is an American fever dream. It is. I think that I, I don't agree with taking him off the ticket at this point because it's like Biden can beat him. You know what I mean? If we take him off the ticket, he becomes a martyr. They go crazy. It's nuts. Like, it's more drama than it's worth to me. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. 
Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. All right. Next up in Maine news, we have a really, really tough story that V has been following um, and reporting on over the weekend. A 16-year-old Oklahoma teen, Nex Benedict, was reportedly beaten to death in a school bathroom amid super incendiary anti-LGBTQ rhetoric in the state. So there's a couple of things we're going to talk about this, that extremely incendiary, dangerous rhetoric that is really particular to Oklahoma right now and the circumstances of Nex's death. So that student was reported to be non-binary, and that's been confirmed from some friends and family members, was killed as a result of a brutal attack reportedly in a high school girl's bathroom. Alongside this, so Oklahoma education policy is extremely hostile to the LGBTQ community. There's this guy, Ryan Walters, and he's a far-right culture war obsessed, just like crazy motherfucker, obsessed Mm. with the culture war. And he's the superintendent of Oklahoma's Department of Education. He's pushed for banning books and lessons on LGBTQ plus issues, basically just wants to either call LGBTQ people, you know, villains or pretend they don't exist. This does affect the public at a point when you become a joke of the nation, when people are moving away, when your neighbors are starting to turn on each other, when it just it's an ugly thing. And so what happens when your teacher gets fired for being queer? It's the talk of the town and you're a queer kid at the school. You don't feel safe. You're not going to feel safe. And kids who either hear a lot of conservative rhetoric and dehumanizing of queer people at home are going to start to realize there are no consequences for the things I do if I am beating up or if I am killing a queer person because queer people are not humans. They've been dehumanized. They're not real people. They're fake. They're future predators. They're whatever the case may be. Now, we don't know because we don't have testimony from these girls yet that Nex was killed because they were non-binary, but we do know from other students that they had been bullied. Um, They lived with their grandmother. They were a straight-A student. They were a nice kid. Whatever happened in this bathroom, you know, resulted in the death of a child because we've shown people that there are no consequences for attacking and dehumanizing queer people. And then the police are now trying to say that maybe this child didn't die as a result of the brutal beating they took in the bathroom. Maybe they had an underlying medical condition and, you know, suddenly died. And I'm not going to they mean their deadly slide. condition was being non-binary. Their deadly condition was not being able to survive a, a savage beating. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so you know, we, we're seeing it's the death of a child. It's a child that was living with their grandmother. It's a non-binary child. It's, um, it's, it's so many things. It's it, like I'm stumbling over my words because as a person who was queer in high school and who was severely bullied after being super popular, then getting called mm-hmm. out for being queer, then being severely bullied, like all I could do was think I would survive high school and then I would be safe. I would move to New York City and I would be safe. And so for parents and people that are out there hearing all these things, 
I just want you to keep reminding the kids in your life that they have a foundational safety with you, that you are a trusted person that they can come to, that even if school is terrible, home is safe or their aunt's house is safe or their friend's house is safe because it makes kids want to give up when they don't see adults interfering and stepping up for them. They think, well, I'm a useless person or I'm not cared for, I'm not human or I'm just going to get killed or maybe I am a bad person or maybe there's something wrong with me that everybody thinks that gay is bad or whatever the case may be. So my message to kids has been like, you are going to get to grow up. We're not going to let this slide. But I need other adults to join me and not laughing at queer jokes, at not keeping your voice low when your uncle says something terrible at the holidays. Like it is getting kids killed. But when you hear that constant dehumanization and nothing to counter it and you see it vindicated with it with a teacher being fired and you're a young person whose brain is not fully developed, like, of course, that's going to impact you and it's going to dehumanize the target of that. And as far as these girls go, there has to be remorse. There has to be a coming forward. It is time to be honest about what happened, even if what happened was teasing that went too far. There were times my brother would get in fights in high school. My mom was a nurse and we would like call her and he'd be like, I don't know why I broke his nose. And she'd be like, you better hope he doesn't die or you're going to jail for murder. You know what I mean? And these were like boys fighting in school over nonsense things. But if this is a fight that just went too far, you just made a mistake, come forward, own up to it, be an example. There are consequences. Um, and it's not okay that you lost control of your rage and another person died. Um, I don't care what underlying medical condition this kid had, if they even had one. They died at the result of the bare hands of three teenage high school girls. That is something that we need to feel the weight of. Mm -hmm. Barehanded. This wasn't a shooting. This wasn't a stabbing. Three girls with their hands beat this kid to death. And you don't do that unless there's something deep inside you that has signaled to you this person is less human or there won't be accountability. The rage, the whatever they – did you think you were doing something good? Like what was fueling you? We need to study that. I think this is an issue in America as we're here to talk about the American fear of your dream. Um, the rage that children have, the displaced rage that they have, and the fact that we live in a world of no consequences for some. Yeah, that's the only point I was going to follow up with is that it's heartbreaking because we are constantly hearing – Another trans, like the life expectancy of trans women are lucky, black trans women are lucky to make it past 35. And you hear that a lot. And it almost contributes, it feels like it contributes to the lack of accountability because it's like a foregone conclusion that young uh, trans and non binary youth are not going to make it. And it's why, you know, B and I were talking before this, this happened several weeks ago, February 8th. We're not sure why there's not more formal reporting on it. We're not sure why there's not uh, more law enforcement talking about what happened here. You know, obviously it involves kids, so it's so it's more serious. But we have to demand answers. And we have to know why this happened, and it has to be taken really seriously and treated, you know, for for the gravity that it is, which is a 16 year old lost their life. Well, I'm on this. I'm on this all the way to the end. I know. It's I know. Yeah. TikTok. Watch these I'm not space, letting this for kid. Sure. No, this this kid is not gonna die. Uh, and be forgotten on my watch for sure because it's not just this kid it's the thousands of kids who are watching us to see what we do right mm -hmm. the worst possible case scenario and what are the adults I trust going to do and I've got enough kids that come up to me at VidCon or different events I go to and they just stare at me because they've never seen a queer person or a non-binary person or a trans person my age achieve success one my age and two achieve success and they just stare at me and they're like 
I never saw somebody your age that like people respect and like, and you're, you're non-binary. And I'm like, yeah, and you're going to be okay too. You're going to grow up too. I'm going to make sure that there's a path for you to grow up. So we are not going to let this kid be forgotten. Um, and we are going to show children out there, both trans and non-binary and not that there are consequences for the dehumanization um, and the destruction of others. And it's up to you as a kid to be on the right side of this, to say that you're not going to participate in bullying. Um, and the cool kids really have a lot of responsibility here to make that the thing that's cool, right? It's cool to not bully people. It's cool to stick up for those who have less than you do. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, unfortunately, in high school, social capital is what motivates you. And we have to we have to switch it. And the social capital has to be being kind and empathetic and protecting people who are different, not bullying them and taking their lives in, in some instances. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next story for main news, our last one for this segment, Alexei Navalny, Russian President Vladimir Putin's most prominent opposition, he died on Friday at the Arctic prison where he was serving a three-decade prison term. This is like similar to our our initial Alabama story in the sense that like you knew this was going to happen in, in the mm -hmm. world that we live in, but it still is quite a disturbing gut punch. The prison claims uh, that Navalny began – don't worry, we, ha we have a palate cleanser prison story after this, believe it or not. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> It gets better. Stop. Stay to the end. There's a very funny story at the end. <laughs> uh, there's light where there's darkness. Okay, so yeah. this prison, it's called like the Polar Wolf Penal Colony. Just hell on fucking earth. They claim yeah. that Navalny began feeling unwell after a walk. Of course, just just, just went on a walk and died. Um, and, and the frozen tundra, death, yeah. Frozen tundra. But the penal colony is saying that the cause of death right now is sudden death syndrome. It seems his heart stopped, but it's unclear why. I'm sure he was delivered no substances and he was treated absolutely beautiful uh, up until this moment, which is, you know, he did have a court session yesterday and he was good humored and he was making, he was doing like a tight 15. He was making a lot of jokes about his situation. And then the next day, the prison announced that he had died. Yeah. No. Died. <laughs> Suddenly. Just sudden, sudden death syndrome. It's sort of like falling out a window in Russia. Um, <laughs> right, right, when right. I heard this story about him being in the Arctic prison, again, cruelty is the point, right, with these people and the dehumanization of people. Um, if you remember when Brittany Griner was incarcerated in Russia, falsely incarcerated, mm -hmm. she had to cut her dreadlocks off because they continued to freeze um, and it was causing her great pain. Um, and she cut those dreadlocks off right before she ended up getting released. But that's why she had the the shaved head when she got out. Um this is like not a joke thing. This is an intentional uh, way to punish people cruelly and unfairly. And as you know, Putin is not winning the war in Ukraine. He is losing on the world stage. 100,000 Russian boys killed. And I'm calling them Russian boys because they have conscription. They're, they don't want to be out there fighting a lot of them. And they're just getting put on the front line and either dying because mice and rats are infesting their food in areas that they're forced to sleep in. Or they're just getting shot and killed and blown up. So what's he going to do? And this do? is what Russia do, doesn't want you to know is like no. those prisoners are all missing teeth. Like they are not yeah. able. They can't even like do a good job at authoritarianism. No, especially with their high profile prisoners, you'd think you'd want to keep as some sort of like bargaining chip or whatever. It's atrocious. And then when he's, you know, running out of things to make him look tough, what's he do? He kills his strongest oppressor. Um, uh, the thing that I, I was so impressed with is Navalny's wife coming out to say that the work will continue. Uh, love her. Stand by your man. Um, 
And she was and just I'm obviously also, can't imagine what she was feeling, but just like stone faced and motivated and ready to work. Yes. And furious. And as you would be, right? And at the same time, uh, American journalist Evan Gerskovich is still uh, falsely incarcerated in Russia and probably the most high profile prisoner they have at this point. So I'm very concerned for Evan. Yeah, he's been there about a year. And earlier today, actually, a Moscow court said that uh, Gershkovitz must remain in pretrial detention until at least March 30th. And he was arrested on March 29th of last year, a full year there. I mean, imagine what that does to you. Well, I, Brittany Gartner has a, a book coming out. I'm sure everyone's experience is different, but we'll get some insight there. Russian prosecutors have charged him with espionage, and it's the first time a criminal accusation had been leveled against this particular accusation had been leveled against a Western reporter in Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union. So like you said, V, just like a lot of desperation here. Mm -hmm. And if convicted, he'll get a 20-year sentence. And of course, but it is worth repeating, Evan, his employer, and the White House, of course, deny that he was in Russia conducting espionage. He was doing his job as a international reporter. He, and he was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, the mm -hmm. Australian billionaire that owns Fox News and everything. He was on a conservative newspaper. This was not some like leftist guy going in trying to like shake up Russia. He was report Evan Gerskovich was reporting just what was going on from the Russian side, from the Ukrainian side as it related to the war. And one day they just decided to scoop him up. I mean, we have deals across the world with sending in journalists to certain places and with an expectation of safety. You identify them so that the state knows if you get this guy, like he's supposed to be okay, he's supposed to be there. And uh, I'm telling you, if they incarcerate him or if they kill him, Joe Biden really needs to go in there and do something about this because killing an American journalist uh, whether it's through detention or on purpose, on uh, trumped up charges is just something that we as a country, if we want to show strength, cannot stand for. Yeah, and they still have Paul Whelan, too. But Tucker Carlson is, is chatting it up Paul, with Vlad. Thank God. Paul Whelan should come home because I believe that no American should be imprisoned in a, in a foreign country. But Paul Whelan's situation is a little bit different. Yes. Paul yes, Whelan was uh, maybe you. doing a little bit here or there that he shouldn't have been. But still... No American should be incarcerated in a foreign nation. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, finally, moving on from May news to our next segment. This is the debut segment for this. We're going to be we're going to be having some mix and match segments per show depending on what the news and depending on what she gives us. Today, Amer I can't. <laughs> Today, what can we not with? Prison and jails as wedding venues. Have you seen this, V? Yes. First, when I saw, speaking of the Wall Street Journal, uh, when I saw America's Hottest Trend prison weddings, I thought, like my favorite show, Prison Wives, mm -hmm. like they were mm -hmm. going to marry prisoners, which I, I think is a great That's idea. actually the wholesome version of what we're going to yeah, talk find about. find love where you find love. Everybody deserves love. Uh, but that's not what they were talking about. Amanda, what are the straights doing? <laughs> <laughs> An article published in the Wall Street Journal has investigated that heterosexual couples across the entire world um, have revived their interest in the use of prisons and jails as 
wedding venues. So evidently former prisons, including Eastern State Penitentiary, are now event venues. That penitentiary was a maximum security prison in Pennsylvania. It closed in 1971. Like some other older prisons throughout the world, it's now considered a historical site. You can like do little field trips and tours there and apparently also rent it out to get married. They also say that they have a very busy Valentine's Day, which I cannot fathom. The outlet, The Wall Street Journal, so they interviewed a couple brides. One of them said about getting married at Eastern State Penitentiary, I dragged my dress past Al Capone's cell and we laughed and danced and had a ball. An Australian bride told the outlet she didn't want the, quote, typical white wedding. I think she meant white. I don't know if she went for white people or or white objects and instead themed her prison wedding sentence to life. No, this is a white people thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very white people thing, especially in America. That particular prison offered tours to guests during pictures and an opportunity to relax in the prison yard during cocktail hour. Have you like, you know, when you get married at like historical, like a museum or something, people get married there. They'll give you a cute little tour like during the cocktail hour when people need something to do. But here you can just, quote, relax in the prison yard, famously relaxing place. And former jails and prisons are also being used as Airbnbs with guests sleeping in the bunk beds. So the the commodification... (laughs) of the, I don't I guess the whitewashing of prisons. There's so much going on here. It's so, so off. Now, Amanda, these, these are, these are not prisons that got redone into hotels or something nice. You know how they reclaim buildings. This is a straight up prison. We're looking at pictures now and they are, yeah, you look like you're getting married in an old prison. Like rusty bars. Mm -hmm. I can't, I cannot, you know what this reminds me of? When going back to my catering days to bring a back background, uh, DC is very close to Virginia. And I remember when I first started learning about different venues outside of the city, I was learning about these historic home and gardens, like the Oatlands Historic Home and Garden, which is beautiful. You go to this big white house with these big pillars out front, these beautiful gardens in the back. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Uh, And so many people get married at them. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me figure this out. Um, These are plantations, Amanda. These are not historic home and gardens. They just rebranded them in the mid uh, to early 2000s. Literal, like, used to be working Virginia plantations that they Mm -hmm. now call historic home and gardens. So you have folks getting married where people used to perform forced labor. And in one of these, they explained to me that they do still do historic tours of the plantation, um, but please don't use the word plantation. And that actually the one of the bridal, uh, they had like these little cottages set up that you could like get, you know, ready in that one of the bridal cottages was actually built using reclaimed wood from the uh, worker cabins, they called them, no. from the slave shacks. And no. I was like, I have to quit this job. Okay, between Nancy Pelosi putting raw lamb, <laughs> spitty lamb in my hand, and the historic home and gardens, I just, I can't. I just feel like the home improvement HGTV, it's gone too far when you're renovating old prisons, when you're reno- when you're getting married on plantations. Although, unless you live in Alabama, because I believe the Supreme- Alabama Supreme Court has mandated that you must either get married in a prison or on a plantation. Of course, to well, remember prisons are sex. children. Yeah, prisons are children, and so are plantations in Alabama. Oh, my God. I just I want to know what goes through your mind, you know, like because me and my wife eloped. We just we just went to like this lady's house and eloped and and literally invited no one. And I like 10 out of 10 recommend that. Like not my parents, not her parents, not one witness. The witness was the photographer. And we didn't even tell anybody we were married for like six months. It was I D. 
deal. 10 out of 10. So I don't understand what goes through your mind when you're a bride and you're like, I just want to do something different. So I want to get married in like Al Capone's cell. Like, I, I guess I get it. I don't know. I know it's giving, it's has just gone so like, I, listen, white people are going to have gaps and it is your responsibility as a white straight person to expose yourself to enough media and education that you at some point learn like, oh, just like a, a, a very large venue is very grassy with a lot of white houses and also a lot of these side houses. Like you should look, I, you should look into that. You're not born if you have not, if you weren't born African American, and I'm sure you are told about what those establishments mean for yeah. you and your history. Yeah. I understand you could have that gap about plantations, but you, it is your responsibility to, before you get married, I just, it, you know, it's just one of those things now, is my wedding venue a plantation? Maybe I should make a website. It's just one of those things you need to check off. And I feel like prisons are sort of like, but can we do this? What about this? Can we get away? Because they want to be, I don't think people liked plantation weddings. This would be very disturbing because there was something edgy about it. I think largely it was an accident or lack of care. They just, yeah. They that just these places were, like, were loaded yeah, with such darkness because- them. Yeah, it didn't bother you because you're not connected to it. But the prisons feels like even we're looking at these pictures, they look like they look haunted, like deeply disturbing things happen to people here. If you're getting yeah. married in the U.S., honestly, anywhere, extreme racism happened here. People were put here who didn't have to go here. And so just the fact that there's like this bride and her little white Air Force Ones like having a cute time, <laughs> it's crazy. So it's like I think there's a range between like – I've heard that some people are a little bit like, okay, maybe you don't need a land acknowledgement at every single wedding, if 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 the if the land and oh, yeah. if you're just like getting married and it's not super connected or there wasn't like a, a, you're not getting married on the site of a huge tragedy. But yeah, if you're looking for something edgy, uh, it's just so it's so out of touch. It is so I have never had a challenging experience in my life. I have never read a book about anyone who had any melanin. It's just. It's the pictures are just like they're too much because they they think they're doing something. They're like, oh, I'm having a I'm a really edgy, cool bride. I'm they so just quirky. have no comprehension of how problematic this is. Warning to folks in the Western New York area: uh, they are retrying to they're trying again to reopen that Olmstead uh, former asylum out in Buffalo. So there's this asylum that is like iconic. The guy who built. Um, Central Park built this asylum. And I love some Victorian architecture. Like, I'm here for it. I get it. It's gorgeous. It's gothic. It's romantic. I know. You were talking about this before. Now I'm like, Olmsted. <laughs> this is a former asylum. That they they did like a, like, pretty sure Geraldo came here to show how bad it was in the 60s yeah. and 70s, or the 60s, right? So it was bad, bad, bad. And it's five wings. And they only, the hotel only really redid the, the middle three. So if you're going to get married at this four-star fancy-ass hotel that they've tried to open three times, but it's so friggin' haunted that just shit keeps happening and they can't open it. They run out of money. It's just bad. So this is the third time they're going to try to open. It used to be called the Henry. I think it's called the Hendrix now. Um, so if you're showing – so you're saying, oh, come to my wedding. It'll be beautiful. It'll be Victorian and Gothic. When you roll up on this venue – the two sides are still condemned buildings. So just the middle three are done. And the two sides are boarded up crazy ass, like nutso bananas stuff. Like people were tortured in these asylums. You, we yeah. should, you're right. We need a registry. Was the site of where I want to have my wedding, the site of uh, death, suffering, um, and indentured servitude. I just need to know those things before. I think I you, you got to do it. Cause the, you know, there are websites like 
I feel like it'd be a little bit more advanced. Like there are websites like is today a Jewish holiday and we'll just tell you yes or no. Like go. is it raining in New York? It'll tell you yes or no. This seems listen, those really talented Gen Z coders, this yes. is for you. And this yeah. is the moral of the story. If you're getting married, you gotta do a site visit and you gotta keep your eyes out for things that look like they're from an asylum or a plantation or a prison. And if you see them, you know what? Maybe, maybe your aunt's backyard is perfectly fine. Yeah. Or a nice hotel. Or like a park, you know? Well, or just, or just lope. Risky, risky or there too. Risky Make there your mom too. mad. <laughs> All right. Finally today, our ending segment in our down ballot era. We are super excited to share this lawmaker with you. V, tell us about them. Yes. Yeah, so talking about our down ballot era, this is my state senator. So she represents me at the state legislature, Samra Brooke. She's an incredible woman. And I got to talking to her because she did an interview in which she said that the United States is the most dangerous developed nation to give birth in. And that like really shocked me. Um, and then in this interview, she goes on to say, especially for black women. Um, and at the time that she was elected to our state legislature, she was a black woman who was pregnant. She's the first black woman in the legislature to give birth while holding office. So incredible. Um, and that's and why she, you don't get married on a plantation. We are too fucking close to that history. <laughs> like, no, no. Carry on. So, so Samra Brooke, uh, Going through being a newly elected uh, black woman in legislature, being pregnant, um, had a doula. And that is because maternal mortality rates in the state of New York for black women are astronomical. And she says even for successful black women with resources and health insurance and who are high profile, uh, you know, elected officials for our town. So after having such a good experience with the doula, she wrote state laws that ensured Medicaid would cover doula services for New Yorkers. And this is absolutely incredible because, of course, uh, folks who are delivering babies while on Medicaid, probably in a little rough situation, definitely could do with a little bit of extra help. This legislation also created a statewide directory of licensed doulas who are enrolled in Medicaid and available to help mothers in their newborns transition both before, during, and after birth. Now, some of the benefits of having a doula, according to the National Institute of Health, include a 39% decreased need for a C-section and reduced risk of premature delivery. Uh, and also folks who have a doula are less likely to experience postpartum depression. So this is massive, incredible legislation. I'm so proud of her. Our governor, Kathy Hochul, who is also the mother of two children, signed this law uh, into action last year. And this will be the first year that we have it on the books. But Again, somebody who we elected, my friend and neighbor, Samra Brooke, our state senator, who is doing things that we have not seen at the federal level yet. And this is why we're in our down ballot era this year, because when you're feeling so hopeless and furious after hearing a story about Alabama and you're just like, what, what can I even do or what can I seek out to make me feel hopeful before November 5th? The fact that this is happening. And of course, like we are a country of 50 states. It's not right that women and, and pregnant people in Alabama are going to be stuck in these terrible situations. Alabama does also have an, a complete abortion ban. But the fact like it is, I love this segment so much because it is so heartening. Like the the, the time that yeah. you spent out of your day to research candidates and make sure to elect the right one means that people in your state have access to a doula and access to a list of them. Because I mean, even if you tell me I'm allowed to have something that my insurance covers it, you got to give me a list. You got to, I'm like, who exactly am I going for? And of course, these outcomes 
I'm sure are particularly improved for black women and black mothers who are, like you said, regardless, I mean, Serena Williams, like doesn't have a, is very high on the income scale, should be very well respected. Still, her doctors treated her differently and ignored her pleas for help. And she had really serious uh, birth complications. And I was able to grab a voice memo while I was meeting with Samra Brooke. And we're going to play that for you guys next, where she talks about, because here's the thing, I love to share if you like this legislation, you don't have to live in New York. Sam Brook is going to lay out for you how you can bring this to your state senator. She has it all on the website, but we're also going to play a clip of her talking about if this is something you think your state would benefit from, here's how she did it, and here's what you need to say to your state senator to get them to sponsor that same kind of pro-life legislation. This is actually pro-life. It improves the lives of mothers and infants um, and birthing people. And so I'm really excited about it, and I'm excited that we now have a roadmap to share with you to take home to your state senator. For anyone not living in New York who wants to know about how they can advocate to get legislation uh, to enable doula services to be more widespread for their own state, I'd say find the women or find the birthing people who are your representatives. I know for a fact that many people knew what a doula was. Many people knew of the maternal mortality crisis in New York. But frankly, it wasn't until we had actual parents, actual people who have gone through the birthing process, some of us doing it as legislators in the moment. Um, but it was really that lived experience, I think, that pushed this over the edge. Because if you look at it, many of the states that have moved forward with legislation to have Medicaid reimbursement for doula, to expand uh, doula services, are led by women and people who have gone through the childbirth process, including Michigan under Governor Whitmer and obviously here in New York um, with Governor Hochul. So Look for those legislators that you think are open and perhaps understand these issues uh, more intimately. And also look at the states who are doing it. You know, we learn a lot from states like Michigan and other states who have implemented doula services. And it also allowed us to learn from their successes and also shortcomings to be able to do the best job we could here in New York. We really went uh, on a ride this episode. You know, we talked about some heavy stuff and some light stuff and ended feeling really empowered and like ready to take action. I agree. I mean, that's the American fever dream. We wake up, we toss, we turn. We got to process. We have to process our feelings in order to make an action plan and move forward. And that's what we hope to do with you every hour in this space. Until next week, I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm V Spear. And this has been American Fever Dream. American Fever Dream is hosted by Vitus Spear and Amanda Duberman. The show is produced by Rebecca Sousmacat, Sean Kilby, and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Schwartz. And be sure to follow at Betches News on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Betches.